Hello, everyone. Welcome to Notorious SHE, a podcast where women in STEM share their experiences and expertise with the next generation of women in STEM. I'm your host, Gabby Hall. On today's episode, we will be joined by Nicole Daniel, General Manager for Worldwide Sales of Internet of Things at Microsoft. Before she joins us, it's time for our lightning lesson. On today's lightning lesson, we will be focusing on Microsoft Azure and Digital Twins. What is Microsoft Azure? Azure, formerly Windows Azure, is Microsoft's operating system for cloud computing. There is a myriad of tools within the platform that you can use to excel your IT performance dramatically. Azure also has a lot of features for Internet of Things security. One of the new features of Azure is Digital Twins. Azure Digital Twins is an Internet of Things platform that enables you to create a digital representation of real-world things, places, business processes, and people. That concludes our lightning lesson. Now we will be joined by Nicole Daniel, General Manager for Worldwide Sales of Internet of Things at Microsoft. Nicole, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Gabby. I'm delighted to be here. I've listened to all of your podcasts so far, and I love them. Oh, that's so great. Thank you so much. So just to get started, could you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what it is you do? Yeah, so I, uh, I work at Microsoft and I manage a team of specialists who focus on how to, to help our customers transform their businesses through the Internet of Things. Um, it's funny because nobody wakes up and says, hey, I want to buy Internet of Things today. They all have something in mind, whether it's better serving their customers through deeper insights into data, um, being able to action that data, or maybe they want to you know, save money by reduced downtime on a manufacturing floor, or maybe it's um, you know, serving patients better in this crazy time that we're in through um, being able to track assets like real ch- wheelchairs, respirators, people, to make sure that they're in the right place at the right time without excessive interaction to keep people safe. Um, and so, you know, there's lots of different scenarios around the Internet of Things, but basically, you know, my specialist team really gets together with our customers to understand what is the business outcome that they're looking for and then advises them on how technology can help them get there. That's really interesting. So how did you get into this field within Internet of Things? So it was kind of a, um, a marrying of two worlds. I, I uh, was one of the first cloud specialists at Microsoft to be thinking about um, cloud computing versus running on-premises environments. And that was about, gosh, 11 years ago. And I did cloud for quite some time, was kind of on the bleeding edge of that. And then at some point, um, I ended up uh, in the device world, you know, thinking about things like um, embedded systems and sensors and, you know, things that we could use to monitor the physical environment, which was very different. But that all led me to IoT in, in terms of a professional, you know, role. But if I think way back to my very beginning, I've been doing IoT for a long time. I, I worked um, in industrial automation, which is all about factory automation and that at, at its very core is taking information from a sensor or something that's happening on the plant floor and then providing it to some sort of higher system to analyze, evaluate data, um, and then you know op, um, optimize that environment. I think the difference now with the Internet of Things is that it's about connecting it to the internet uh, and and having much more 
compute power, much more analytic power to be able to truly, you know, look at environments and and figure out how to preemptively uh, predict downtime or optimize the environment. So I guess I've really been doing it for a long time. It just has evolved in a in a much richer way to be able to serve our customers better. Were you always interested in data and digitalization, or did this grow from something else? Well, so I um I actually have a business degree and a master's degree, both in international business. And um, because I my first um, really interesting job out of college, I had many, but the first one that, you know, had staying power was um, the one where I was doing industrial automation. And I became uh, sort of techie there because you really have to understand what technology is going to do for customers in order to sell or market or even you know talk to your customers and so i would sit with the developers and the engineers and just always ask why 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 so what okay great that we have all this great technology that you're building but tell me why um it matters to our customers and so i i became quite technical doing those sort of inquisitions i'll call them uh but i don't have a degree in technology um, but I am quite deep uh, because of that. And, you know, it, even with technology companies, you have to have the full circle of um, of sellers, marketers, financiers. Uh, you know, you've got a full, robust um, legal team, for example, is another one. Um, you've got a robust uh, set of different skill sets within a technology company. But I think at the heart, because we are a tech company, we need to all have some sort of basic understanding of why we're doing this and what it does for the world. You know, I'm really glad that you mentioned this because I feel like when people think of jobs in the tech sector, they always think about jobs that are, you know, coding or actual engineering. And they don't realize that there's a lot of other options that you can, you know, pursue, even if you're not, you know, technically savvy, or even if you just have different interests, like you want to go into the business side. You know, I think it's good to know that there are lots of different options. So on that note, for any listeners who are interested in a career like yours, what would you say is the most important thing they can learn? Wow, that's a big one. Um, so I think, you know, being deep on technology is always good. So be curious and read a lot about things like, you know, where is the internet going? What's happening with security? What's happening with privacy? And there's no lack of, of information out there right now, um, especially with the way that the internet has grown and the connectivity has grown and, you know, 5G is just going to, it's going to expand that. And so definitely read up about tech, regardless of it, of whether it's tech for, for learning about the technology for tech's sake, or, you know, what impact is it having in the world? And then, um, you know, always being, thinking about like, what is the, so what about this? What, why does it matter? How is it going to change what we do on a day-to-day basis? And so, you know, regardless of which way you want to go, whether to sort of a, you know, a developer programming career versus a business career, I think technology is going to be in everything. It's really not going to go anywhere uh, besides there, right? Just the proliferation is going to change everything we do in every single industry. So you mentioned, um, you know, answering questions like, where do you think the internet is going? So where do you think the internet is going? Where do you see the future of the internet, especially as someone that works so deeply in the internet of things? 
Yeah, I think it's going to go in a couple different directions and then it's going to converge. And this is just my own personal opinion. But I think, you know, because of um, the the great power of connectivity, we've seen it go in strange directions, right? Where now um, you're able to hack the, the tiniest of devices. I remember the um, the 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 video that went viral of the little girl standing in her bedroom and somebody talking to her through a camera that it was in her room. And also um, you might remember, I think it was about five years back, a casino in Vegas got hacked through a thermometer in a fish tank and the thermometer was there to, it's an IOT thermometer to, to gauge the oxygenation and the temperature level to keep the fish alive. So it was connected to the internet to provide a, digital feedback loop to say warm up the water or increase oxygenation. Somebody was able to hack into that thermometer, got to the network and stole um, thousands of records of people's uh, uh, bank accounts and they were able to you know, steal money essentially. And so connectivity provides us with the ability to do um, good things and it provides us the ability to do bad things, right? And so I think we're going to see a little bit of both until uh, we start to see security tighten up in a significant way, which is something that you know I can talk about all day long from a Microsoft perspective because we are hyper focused on that, and then we're also hyper focused on um, doing things that you know we call, for example, AI for good. Right? Um, we have really strong privacy and security policies that are publicly stated around using people's information for certain things, which we tend not to do um, unless we have permission. And then we also have, so there's kind of a stated, um, you know, position on it, which I think all companies should have around ethical uh, behavior around information. And then there's also the technology piece of it. How do you actually live that through your, your stand on how we implement technology in order to protect people. And so I think you're going to see that happening more and more, especially as um, some of the technology companies are coming under more scrutiny about the way that they use data. And then it's going to converge into something that is going to truly help people. Um, we've done a ton around um, actually building out applications to help during COVID. We kind of shifted gears when COVID hit and said, okay, let's use IoT, which at the end of the day has a device connected to it to think about things like that, you know, uh, tracking and tracing assets within a hospital to reduce uh, to reduce time, you know, and get, get people into the right place at the right time to help them. We've also done a bunch of things uh, with technology around uh, touchless manufacturing. Nobody wants to send all of their plant workers to the plant floor right now if they can do a lot of things remotely. Um, so we've really doubled down on that type of technology. We've also thought about, you know, come back, coming back to work scenarios like um, how to sanitize a work environment through UV before the next person enters it. So if you think about kind of how people are doing um, remote work, but then when they do go to the office, usually there's a setup where they can just plug in at any desk and use it with their monitor, et cetera. When that person walks away, you wanna make sure that it's sanitized for the next person. And so we can do 
all of that through IoT. So th there's been a bunch of different innovations that have happened over the past couple of years as a result of this highly unfortunate situation that we're living. But it has, um, you know, it, it does tie in with that kind of how do we use technology and artificial intelligence for good of the of the planet and that's not even going into kind of the carbon zero um, agenda that many companies have, which is huge. We Lots of companies that we talk to right now are taking on um, uh, statements around their carbon strategies, carbon-free strategies, and, and IoT is very, very uh, prevalent in that conversation as well. It's crazy just how dependent on technology we've become, not just in the last you know, 10, 20 years, but especially in the past year because of COVID. Um, so I guess now security for the internet of things is more important than ever since it's so deeply ingrained into what we're doing. So from what I understand, Microsoft has an operating system called the Azure Sphere, which is a like a security system for um, devices that are connected to the Internet of Things. So how does Microsoft Azure and the Azure Sphere, how does it protect data and smart things? And what are some of the big issues in protection for smart objects? Oh, that that's a really great question, Gabby. Um, we, you know, Microsoft has been um, a, a company that's been kind of in the, the CPU, so computers, right? The GPU space, which is the cloud. We um, ended up, you know, in the consumer device space when we launched some of our own hardware, uh, things like Xbox, Surface, et cetera. And we learned the hard way that you can have a, 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 a secure cloud and secure networks and everything down to the very last um, device. But if you don't actually secure the device, you can end up in one of those scenarios, like I mentioned earlier. And so we really started to invest in how do we make sure that the last mile or the device in your home or your factory is secure because everybody wants to have the luxury of of knowing hey my refrigerator is about to fail or you know wouldn't it be great if if the refrigerator could alert the technician that's in my neighborhood to come fix it before it fails and everything spoils um, it also, you know, it'd be great if my refrigerator could call up the, the supermarket and tell them that I'm out of, you know, cold kombucha or whatever it happens to be. Um, but nobody wants to do that at the expense of, of potentially having your refrigerator hacked. What if they hack in the middle of the night while your baby's sleep, sleeping and they warm up the refrigerator, you wake up in the morning, take out the milk or the formula or whatever, feed it to your baby. That That's not what people are willing to do in order to have some of the luxuries and the convenience that the internet of things can provide so we really started to invest in securing the edge so all of those devices that you're talking about that that set kind of you know physical um devices that's what we call the edge and so we we invested in making sure that that edge is secured and um it that's what azure sphere is so it's a tiny little mcu uh, microcontroller unit that sits in devices, every one of us probably has 30 to 40 MCUs in our homes today, a toaster, refrigerator, um, you know, a toaster oven, everything that is in our homes is connect or is, is an MCU. Whether or not it's connected is a different story. Only about 1% of MCUs today are connected. 
because of the fact that um, we are afraid to have them connected if it's not secure. And so this chip actually talks to a security service, and I'm getting a little techie here, but it talks to a security service to make sure that it's got the latest and greatest um, updates so that if you do have a smart refrigerator or a smart toaster, uh, it's it's unhackable, right? And so um, that's something that we've invested a lot of time in and people and, and money to make sure that, um, you know, the 1% of devices that are that are connected today to the internet can expand and make sure that, you know, those conveniences are there. Um, it's also not just consumer, it's, it's plant floors. Um, uh, manufacturing traditionally does not connect because if somebody hacks a manufacturing floor, it could be billions of dollars of, of downtime and lost product. And so um, that's an area where we see adoption as well in order to uh, you know, make sure that it's truly unhackable and that they can get all of those great benefits of predictive maintenance and making sure that there's no downtime without opening up to to hacking. So that's really what um, Azure Sphere is all about, is really securing that those objects at the edge. As I understand it, uh, a part of Azure is the digital twins. Could you explain what digital twins are and what they're used for? Yeah, I think, Gabby, that's probably the most exciting part of what's happening right now is um, ad the digital twins in general um, is, an, is an IoT platform that enables you to really create a digital replica uh, or representation of real world things, people, <laughs> places. I mean, imagine, you know, on the people side, if you could kind of digital twin teleport yourself to a meeting across the globe right now without having to get on a plane. Um, and so really it is all about replicating not only what something looks like, but also how it, it works. So you could use um, digital twins to build a, um, a replica of a space, um, a factory, a smart grid or energy network, even a full city to use data from the past. I know you've talked about in, in you know, your past um, podcast about big data, right? All of that big data from the past that, that we've been collecting, you can use that to model the future. So let's say that you want to make some changes in the way that your um, you know, streetlights operate in a smart city scenario where you wanna test out, well, what if we, you know, we, we rig these streetlights to, to actually be IoT streetlights to really kind of watch traffic and then they can change on the fly so that it's not just a static kind of on and off environment. You can build your city on a digital twin and have virtual cars kind of going through and pedestrians going through and model based on all of the traffic data in the past, what's going to happen in the future if you uh, wire your streetlights in a specific way. So it really helps to save money because you don't have to build a an exact replica physically right it's a digital environment and it also just gives you that accuracy of watching and predicting what's going to happen without having to to test uh in the in the physical environment and i can talk um I'm, gabby i don't know if we have time but i'd love to tell you kind of one one of our customers the very simple problem that they were trying to solve and how they solved it yeah go for it cool so um big candy company we all like candy right they um they were having an issue with their 
quality, something as simple as, you know, on their manufacturing lines, their weight, color, and quantity of candies in a little bag was different every time. And so, you know, I have kids and I know that they count like, you know, every single one of those and they really wanted to fix that. And so they ended up uh, implementing digital twins to figure out how to provide more of a consistent quality going into each bag. They were having like a tiny percentage point of drift in their accuracy of weighing their bags on the equipment line. And so in 12 weeks um, with digital twins, they were able to identify all of the problems in the virtual environment and then go fix them in the digital environment. So we use kind of a 3D visual model and all of the data that they've gathered from the past, all the big data went into this model and now they've got the quality on their line that they were looking for. That's so amazing. This digital twins concept is just so incredible. I feel like there's just, it, the applications are limitless from everything from, from what you're saying, manufacturing to education. I just like, my mind is just spinning with ideas. Um, so we're gonna take kind of a shift now and talk more about your roles at Microsoft. Um, so as I understand, you're a general manager at Microsoft. So could you explain a little bit about what being a general manager means? Yeah, so being a general manager just basically means that you own a business, right? Or you own a, um, a specific business outcome. And so in my particular uh, space, it's about owning the results of our business. It's about owning the customer. So we uh, or uh, not owning the customers, but owning the relationship with our customers. Um, and then, you know, particularly where we are with the Internet of Things, it's really about mainstreaming it. We've been kind of incubating this for a few years now. Um, I've been doing it for a little over five years, just living and breathing IoT. And now um, we've had a reorg this year for us to take it mainstream across all of our sellers in the company, which, you know, are upward of 20,000 uh, uh, sellers. So it's about educating them. Um, I have a team of people of 67 people across the globe that live and breathe IoT every day, and, and we um, sort of own that relationship with the customers. So as I've understood it, you've worked in a lot of international departments. So how was that experience for you, and what was that like? Oh, that's a great question. I actually started my career um, with, you know, my pre prior company, who I was with for 10 years before my 16 years at Microsoft, in Latin America. So I was building businesses in Latin America for the industrial automation company, which was really fun. Um, I've been in and out of Latin America my entire career with Microsoft and with Rockwell, which was that company. And then um, I just recently went to Asia for a couple of years to manage our IoT business in Asia. And I think it's um, it has been so enriching to my career because knowing how our customers across the globe think about our about implementation of technology, the cultural, you know, way they work, which has been super interesting as well. Um, how do you take the cultural cues um, around, you know, how projects are going to go? And so I think, um, you know, it's it's been very enriching for me. And I don't know if I could be in a global role like I am right now without really understanding the cultural um, leverage it, uh, leveraging of technology, how they work, how they meet, how they make decisions. All of that has been super enriching. So with all of this, you know, international experience, 
what does community mean to you? Well, that is a great question. So I think we all have so many communities that we um, live in, right? We've got our family communities, extended family communities. We've got our work communities. And then we've got, you know, what are the other over and above things that we think about every single day? And, you know, for me, um, it's, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate because outside of the ones that naturally have come to me in my personal life, we also have so many ways to engage with communities um, through what we call employee resource groups, which is again, a Microsoft thing, but um, it's such a big company, you know, being able to participate in some of these communities is really important. And so I'm part of um, OLA, which is our uh, Hispanic Latinx uh, community at Microsoft, where we do a lot of great events. In fact, right now it's, uh, it's the Hispanic Latinx Heritage Month. So we have a bunch of things going on there. Um, we've, I am, I'm involved in women at Microsoft, which we call WAM, but I'm also involved in so many different uh, women's groups around technology. So, you know, STEM communities, um, there's an organization called Code Art here in Miami that takes uh, uh, women coders and, and builds art through that, which is really cool. I've done some things with them as well. Um, I've also, uh, I, I do spend a lot of time on panels around women in tech. Um, and then my latest um, big, you know, community endeavor has been so much fun. It's um, with an organization called Shake a Leg who uh, uses the, the beauty of the Biscayne Bay to help kids with any sort of developmental disabilities, um, it, autism, could be physical disabilities. Uh, they use the water and the beauty of the Biscayne Bay to get kids out on the water sailing, um, kayaking, uh, teaching them how to uh, to do water sports. And it's just a really great community. And they're using technology for so many cool things, um, all the way from you know streaming content so that kids that couldn't make it physically to the facilities during the pandemic could could see content online and, you know, using technology to uh, make uh, their their vessels operable for kids uh, with with physical disabilities. So, you know, using adaptive technologies in order to make that possible. So that's a really exciting place to be. And that's something that, you know, uh, even though it's a, a community here in, in Miami, they're really trying to figure out how can we take some of these concepts global, which is, has been a lot of fun. I've, uh, I've had the honor of volunteering with Shake a Leg back when I was in high school. Um, and I know that they have a really strong emphasis on mentorship through education. So within your own career, how has mentorship affected you and what do you see the value of mentorship as? It is huge, Gabby. Um, mentorship is the best thing that you can do um, I have an approach to mentorship that I kind of rigorously follow. And then I also have a couple of cool stories about how mentors changed my path. Um, when I think about mentors, you know, I think we all have kind of natural mentors and then we also have to kind of think about how do I, how do I make sure that I'm actually doing it right? And so I am always thinking about um, what do I need? And typically it comes down to three things. I have a career mentor, so somebody that can kind of see the forest for the trees that's not involved in my business per se. 
they might be at Microsoft in a totally different business or they might be outside of Microsoft, but I always have a career mentor so that when I'm thinking about decisions, uh, I can kind of say, okay, here's my journey that I've been on so far. And here, here's where I'm thinking about going. What do you think? And, you know, getting that sort of outside in look is really awesome. So I try to have just a person that I can bounce off my journey and my career and, and where I should go next. And, and those have kind of changed my path in some ways when I've had those. I also have um, a subject matter mentor at all times. So especially when I'm changing jobs, which I've tended to do every two to three years at Microsoft, how do how can I get up to speed quickly on a, on a subject that maybe I'm not the subject matter expert on? And so I have a kind of a subject matter expert uh, mentor that can teach me about the business that I'm about to jump into and that can help me accelerate my learning curve. And then I have peer mentors and peer mentors are, you know, just people that you can bounce off of like, hey, how am I coming off to you? How am I, how is my interaction? What do you think I could do differently? And then, you know, those are kind of more like reverse mentorships. They tend to be. Um, and then the latest thing that I've been doing is try to get, um, you know, younger mentors and have a reverse mentorship that way because I've been in the business for a long time. And so um, sometimes we need to learn to unlearn before we can learn something new, right? And so um, having young uh, mentors in my life that um, can help me get a different perspective is uh, is something that I've been doing. And, you know, you and I have had conversations and it opens my eyes to how I could look at things a little bit differently. And then, you know, kind of on the stories, like my first big uh, mentor was in college. My, uh, my capstone advisor who was also, or he was my per capstone professor, I should say, and also my advisor, um, he was the leader of the International Business School at St. Norbert, which is where I got my undergrad. And, um, you know, I was ready to kind of like give up on international business once I realized what uh, some companies were doing, you know, to use technology and their strength in the world for not so good things. And so I was like, I don't want to do this. I want to go, you know, maybe join the Peace Corps or do something else because I don't like the way that multinational accounts are behaving. And he said to me, look, you will do so much more actually taking part of the conversations around ethics and in international business versus, you know, going off and doing something where maybe your work won't be as impactful because the way to change the world is actually to get in and, you know, kind of help companies be the companies that that you see them being. And so I that that was my biggest one. And, and by the way, I would have loved to join the, the Peace Corps or any other organization like that, but he helped me see that what I wanted to do would be more impactful if I jumped into kind of the fire pit. And so that was the big one. And then the next big one was, you know, the, the reason that I went into the device world from cloud was that one of my corporate vice presidents at Microsoft a few years back said, look, you know, you have been, you know, this, the person that I know that knows the most about servers and cloud and how the inner workings of everything we do in, in massive compute work. Um, I think that you should take on leading our device division for Latin America. And I said, what? Like, I don't really want to go do that. I don't, that sounds boring to me. I really like the big complex, you know, how do we build this massive mega computer in the world and how do we secure it? And I really liked the deep tech stuff. 
And he said, look, you know, there's this thing called called IoT coming down the road and you, you know, you need to learn how devices uh, work and and you need to learn the edge as well as the cloud. And so that's how I ended up becoming the worldwide leader for IoT is he pushed me into an uncomfortable space for me um, where I had to learn a lot about consumer devices and, uh, you know, being uncomfortable for a few years was the thing that catapulted my learning into a place that I could take on a much bigger remit. So those are my two big mentorship moments. So now that you're at Microsoft, um, after, you know, being skeptical about joining big multinational accounts, what would you say is your favorite part of the job? Um, I think my favorite part is that, um, you know, I've done stuff in both entrepreneur as well as big, big company space. And the thing that I love about being where I am right now is that I can do both. So I'm in a, a startup, essentially, not so startup anymore because we're mainstreaming, but I was able to be in at the ground floor and, um, you know, build out a business that will change the world within a large organization. Um, on top of that, I think, you know, that not every large company is created equal. And so I studied, you know, what Microsoft stood for before I joined. And if you ever want to know kind of about that, go read um, Brad Smith's uh, blog. He's our chief legal officer on how we think about using technology for good. And it's stated and that makes a big difference. Um, and that's how we live. You know, that's how we live every single day with our principles on ethics and how to use data and technology. So, um, you know, I love being part of a company that has that stands for that versus, you know, just out there to, to be making money. So I always like to end my interviews with the same question. Uh, and that is, what advice would you want to leave our listeners with? Yeah, for me, um, I think, it, you know, it's going to sound cliche, but I, I live it and love it, which is do what you love and love what you do. If you do that, you will end up going places. You know, a lot of people um, map out their career journeys, which there's definitely something to be said for that, especially if you know what you want to do. But there's also something to be said for, um, you know, being at the right place, right time with preparation um, where, you know, your career, as long as you're loving it and doing impactful things, it will guide you. And it's all about impact. So pick things that you love and pick things where you know that you have something to bring to the table and, and drive that impact on what you're doing. And that will be the thing that gets you um, to where you want to go. And then the other piece of that is, you know, write your own story. Um, if there's not a job out there that looks like it's for you right now because you can't put yourself into a little square box, you know, write the role that you want in life and, you know, look toward the future and figure out what that might look like. And chances are you'll either either create it or be ready for it when it comes along. Thank you so much for being here, Nicole. It was such an honor to interview you. Thank you, Gabby, for having me. And I'm so excited to see the rest of your podcast. Thank you. Check out the Notorious SHE website for links to resources relating to today's episode. Thanks again for joining us, everyone. As always, I'm Gabby Hall, and this is Notorious SHE.